Welcome to Tree Talking Time, where we talk all things tree dogs. From the smallest fights to the largest hounds. Drink squirrels to bears and everything in between. And from time to time, we might even run a little fast game. Welcome back, everyone. In this episode, I got Rex Bowers on the phone. And just like some of my other podcast guests, I sprung a podcast on him. Don't worry, he didn't miss a beat, and he talks all about the history of the American Leopard Cur. I titled this episode, 60 Years with American Curs, because that's the title of the article Rex has been submitting to Fool Cry for the last few months, and it's a great source of information as well. Like always, thanks to my patrons for supporting me. Hi, Rex. Just want to talk about some leopards. Okay. I don't know. I like the history. Okay. I'll try. I'll try and help you. I don't know if I can. Oh, I, I, I think know if I'm qualified to give you this. You are absolutely the about. most qualified. I think there is to talk about leopards that's alive today. Well, I'm not that old. <laughs> I know you're not. I'm not saying you're that old. I'm just saying that you know, other than Richard McDuffie and maybe some of the other, you know, maybe Odile Bennett. There's not too many other people that were around when the breed was formed and. Are still involved, yeah, that's and true. so it's true. It's kind of days gone by in yeah. a lot of ways, but I've not, I've not been involved with any of the hunts or mm-hmm. kept up with who's breeding what or anything in quite a few years. Oh, I don't. I mean, I follow all the current stuff. That's that's not important. <laughs> Anybody can find that out. The history and stuff is what I'm in, interested in. You know, there's there's not a good book like there is on plots. Is there still a, a leopard cur association that does a yearbook? Uh, they have. They no longer do a yearbook. The American Leopard Cur Breeders Association is still in existence. The the registration office part. Yeah, that that's the registration office, and and that's the only thing that has anything to do with the, the cur side, other than the Blue Ridge Club. Sure. Which right. the Blue Ridge Club is a standalone club that's not associated with anybody. Well, it was to start with. Yeah, I'm, I'm just saying at this point they're not. Right. I don't know how many years. Been maybe ten years or so ago, but it started out. It was you know a section of the mm-hmm. National Association. Henry was while too, but... telling me a little bit of that when I was down there at that hunt. Yeah, that was kind of a long time ago, but. Out of the thing down here called the Leopard Tree Dog Association, which was I've heard about it splintered from the right, started in the mid seventies. Really, the same people in the National Association. They just disgruntled with people in the Midwest for one reason or another and started that. But it kind of turned into a split in the, you know, across the country. Okay, and uh. One thing or another, and Richard McDuffie quit registering his dogs with with them too. And mm-hmm. you know, I kind of got a group of people together one year to meet at my house and discuss having a hunt here that you know represented the National Association. Because at that time, you had to have that to have a voice in the National Association's mm-hmm. decisions and things of that nature. And that's how that got started. How long did you have the LTD? Leopard tree dog. Mm-hmm. It's uh, from I believe seventy four till. I'm, I may not be exact on that about looking exact dates. Mm-hmm. My memory's not as good as it should be, but it lasted into a little two thousand and two, something like that. Oh, wow. Still had a hunt. So, yeah, gotcha. early two thousand, maybe a year or two later than that. I didn't realize it lasted that I'd long. Have to look to get the, 
It did. Uh, O'Neill quit the registration office part of it. I think O'Neill quit registering dogs in like 96 and 97. Gotcha. I've got that at my house, but, Mm -hmm. you know, it hadn't been, he hadn't registered dogs in any year, you know, several years. But as far as the the association and the group of people met down there at the Leopard Den, that went on for several years Mm -hmm. until the 2000. I don't exactly remember the last year I went down there, but I've I've heard about those. Don't seem that long ago, you know. Yep. Um, Have you been down there? No, I have. I this was the first year I went down to the the Blue Ridge Club, but um, Richard Bailey up in Michigan told me a little bit about those the leopard den and going to those hunts back in the eighties and nineties. Yeah, Richard goes way back. Yeah. I mean, I don't. I guess he still still got dogs. I talked to him a few years ago. Mm-hmm. But I mean, he he's had leopards and, since the late sixties, long as right longer than anybody. I right off can think of Mar Meeks. He's had dogs for a long time. Mm-hmm. Lamar, I met him early seventies down at uh, we had Southeastern Sectional in Lumberton. And I don't think I saw him again for twenty years. He he registered his dogs with NKC for a long time. Yeah. And uh, didn't come to those hunts, you know, on a regular basis. I'm sure he had a big operation going. He didn't. And then after after a while, he kind of got back, and like a lot of other people, and ACBA registered his dogs, you know, okay. with the Leopard Curbreeder Association. You know, but it's been one way or another and different things in the Leopard Tree Dog. Mm-hmm. Office. If a person was to look at it, I mean, it's basically identically the same dogs. Most of the people in the Midwest and Ohio and Illinois and Indiana registered their dogs. You know, that were ACBA registered, registered them with the LTDA. Yeah. Probably the majority of dogs in that registration office were from the Midwest. Really? Really? I just would have thought being down North Carolina, it would have been more the Carolina bred dogs. Well, everybody down here, with a few exceptions, registered them. I, I kept mine registered with both offices. Okay. Through through the years, and Billy Styles did as well. But gotcha. Most of the people that were in that original group down there did not. When they started the LTD, they quit registering their dogs with mm-hmm. the American Leopard Curbreeders Office. With, yeah. uh, Billy Williams, on, and most people quit. And uh. Like I say, it's one reason I started that Blue Ridge thing was to get people back together because they were basically breeding the same mm-hmm. breed of dog. Well, even now, you've got the UKC registered dogs, and then, you know, there's still a few people that are breeding dogs registered with the ALCBA. Well, that's what I was asking. I mean, I haven't. I've got one dog. She's full blooded out of my stuff all the way back. I've got UKC papers. I, I think I registered the second UKC dog when we started that. I okay. think Reggie Snyder was the first. Pretty sure Reggie registered the first with UKC. Mm-hmm. And I registered mine second. And I was, you know, I thought that was the thing to do all along. But that's when the UKC registered them as curves, yeah. not leopard hounds. Yep. There's yeah. always been, you know, a variety in that breed. There's always been ball mouth, long ear, hound dogs. Mm-hmm. I've told people Anybody, that, like, I've been involved yeah. with leopards for, I don't know, five or six years now, and, and anytime anybody asks, 
they're like, oh, is there a breeder, you know, in whatever their state or whatever? I'm like, it doesn't matter what state you're in. I said, look for the type of dog you want because there's so much variety within this breed. Always has been. It's always been like it. Mm-hmm. At one time, the people that was in that Leopard Tree Dog Association, you know, we hunted together and kind of hunted the same territory and probably had a group of people that had a strain of dog or semi-strain of dog that were maybe a little less houndier than some of those in Missouri, but most of all, the talk about those being all hound out there was more talk. Yeah. When you got right down to it, they weren't that much different. Okay. But I, I wouldn't say that's true today. I mean, some of them are, are no different than a Korean walker or a I, I would, hound. I would say between 2008 and the present, something happened. My, yeah. I, what? Well, you know, I, I, I don't know, but I think a lot so. of outside, a lot of outside blood. Yeah, you, you know, a lot of outside blood. I mean, there's just no those people did that in every breed there's ever been. I guess you yep. know, put something in them, but there's a lot of you know outside competition type hounds in yeah. these leopard hounds. You know, it's pretty easy to to see. Oh, I I heartily agree, and that's why for somebody that's looking for more of those old style cur dogs, it's it's getting harder to find those dogs unless you know where to look. Well, I don't. I did at one time, you know. I really don't know who. I really don't know who's got what now. I've, I've had a lot of health issues. And mm-hmm. Just have, not able to hunt except what hunting I do behind my house. Yeah, I go no, to the woods that. in the wintertime every day. You know, right out my back door. Mm-hmm. I've got a coon dog, and I've got one coon dog, and I've got one fox dog. Okay. I, I mean, my, my leopard cur, she's she's getting old, but when I turn her loose. Probably five mornings a week, she goes and runs rabbits to stay in shape. But she's a she's a hard tree dog. Okay. If she sees I'm going to look for a coon, nah. she'll go get treed. And she goes back to all your stock. Yeah, she's she's full blooded. Okay, that's from Creek for generations. Mm-hmm. Out of the last female I had, I raised pups and a, and a Wayne Hensley male. Okay, just a couple generations back to. Yep, I, I hunt with Wayne right here. and. Uh... I actually bred a female to one of Wayne's males, and so I've seen some of his papers, and it, it all, everything he, everything in his kennel pretty much goes back to your stock with a very few outcrosses. I think he might have bred to one of Brandon Thompson's dogs. Or yep, at one, that's the only outcross he's made, and then his Mike dog that he has now was, is out of uh, a male from John Miles, but John Miles' stock all goes back to Brandon's. And then actually the female that right. I took and bred was from Brandon as well. So the only three outcrosses that have ever been made into his line have all been on like Glade Creek stock. Yeah, I hunted with Wayne's brother, mm-hmm. Lewis Hensley. He was one of the very first leopard cur breeders. Yep. In the early 60s. I had a litter mate to Nimrod and mm-hmm. had a dog called Calico that come originally from Ross Porter. In Iowa, through, okay. through Dan Reeves, and then they kind of got out of it and met Wayne. And I kind of had it determined that I was going to let Wayne have the best of whatever I had because I knew, knew his brother and got to know him and yeah. let him have the best that I had. No, I really like I really like Wayne and I like hunting with him, and I jokingly call him Uncle Wayne now. Uncle Wayne. Yep. <laughs> I tell you what, I haven't talked to Wayne. I haven't talked to Brandon. I, I just had a lot of things going on other than coon hunting and coon dogs and just haven't kept in touch with the leopard cur world. But I understand. I'm not that far from Wayne. I'm about maybe two hours, two and a half hours. 
Okay. I thought it was a little further than that. Now, you've had leopards, like you said, the Dutchman Creek line of dogs for a long time. Where did you get your start in leopards? I believe I got a dog out of O'Neill Bennett's Buck and Black Gal. I took her pictures in full cry. I did see that now that you mentioned it. Yep. I've enjoyed your, your recent articles that you've been putting in there. I've got a lot of old pictures. I'm not on the internet. I think I had the first Kerr website ever put up. Okay. But I never did nothing with it and got out of it. But I've got a lot of Richard McNuffy let me copy his photo album. Okay. It would have been That's in nineteen ninety five when I had that first Blue Ridge hunt. And I copied every photograph that he had. But, you know, and for years I didn't you know, you know, this might sound bad, but a lot of people would like to have them for wrong reasons. Mm-hmm. I hope that doesn't sound bad, but no. But anyway, I thought, you know, if I don't share them somewhere with somebody, you know, I'll pass away and it'll just be in boxes in here in my house. So I thought I'd put some of those photos out there and tell a little bit. No, I've really enjoyed those articles. But I got my first dog. It was out of, I didn't get him from O'Neill. I got him from a man by the name of Bruno Worlow. was just a dog trader. But I, James Myers owned him when I first hunted with him. Okay. And I had couple other leopard curs and James lived in Salisbury. But uh and a fellow that I hunted dogs for, you know, I'm just a young boy at the time, didn't have any money or anything, but told me that he knew a dog trader that had two leopard curs just like the ones I talked about. So we went to see this man and sure enough he did have them. Nice. And uh Daddy bought me a ranger for my birthday. I guess I was fourteen years old. Okay. You were young. And I grew up around dogs. I'd had beagles and great hounds and you know, tree dogs. I'd been around dogs since I was big enough to breathe. Mm-hmm. That's the first. And he was a pretty powerful king dog. Was then, still is in my mind now. I've not seen many mm-hmm. in all these years. I think it was better than him. I mean, he was just a lot of those dogs. I look back at it and I, you know, and knew a lot of people tried to breed and improve on those first dogs. And I, I don't know, I've seen dogs that were more suitable for the hunting that territory we have. And I've seen dogs, I'm sure, that would win competition hunts and maybe look better one way or another. But I've not seen better dogs as far as training a lot of coons and getting the job done. I did first few years I was acquainted with them. You're not the only person that I've heard that from. I've heard that from quite a few old timers that have had these dogs for 30 plus years that have had said there were some better dogs back then. Well, they were extraordinary dogs, extraordinary dogs. I believe the first ones I ever hunted with who went to Lumberton were uh, Noah Leggett's. Okay. Wayne Rogers. And my ranger dog, I mean, the people had coon dogs around here, the hounds, and they weren't, they weren't just all country coon dogs. They were Grand Knight champion, mm-hmm. you know, plots and walkers. But, I mean, my dog didn't take a back seat to none of them, but he sure didn't outrun those down there. Of course, they wasn't used to hunting in swamp country. But everybody down there, you know, just due to the terrain, hunt right off the tailgate, which we don't do around here. You've seen this country here. It's, you know, hills and hollers and yep. miles between bridges and just walking it. But not that way down there, but. Have, you know, that country down there demand, you know, to have a dog hunt hard and wide like that. And, you know, there's a lot less coon in a lot of country back then. Had to have a lot of yeah. go on a dog. For first, I tell people for the first three generations, I bred dogs to hunt harder and wider. And then I spent the rest of my life trying to come up with dogs <laughs> that handled and hunted closer. 
That's funny. And I guess now we got all this technology. You can go back to, you know, you can train any kind of dog gun any way you want. Yeah. That's just funny how. What, how what do you have? You say you got Wayne? You got dogs out of Wayne's dog? I've got two females from Brandon. And then I bred a female to one of Wayne's males. So I've got, and I've got a female pup out of that. And where do you live at? I live in Pennsylvania. I used to go to Pennsylvania every fall and hunt for a week. Where'd you hunt up here? Around Lebanon. Man owned a furniture business up there by the name of Bob Hoke. Okay. Because I got to know And he put us up for a week and hunted with a guy by the name of a chick boarder trained field draw dogs in a big way, field trial dogs. Okay. And we spent several days every year at a cross-country ski resort, maybe a couple hours from Lebanon, a place called Eaglesmere. You know where that might be? I know where we Lebanon those, is. Uh, well, this, that ski resort's a pretty good little trip in Lebanon. We hunted all around there, too, on those national forests or state forests, I guess they were. Yeah, we have a state There's a lot ground. of big timber, big mm-hmm. timber, big timber compared to what we got here. But we went to that ski resort and stayed in this man's lodge a cross-country ski resort and hunted all over his cross-country ski trails. Nice. Yeah, he had a big, you know, lodge right on the mountaintop, you yeah. know, and uh, horse stables, of course, you know, they had trail riding and everything else there, but he was good friends with, you know, Bob, so he'd put us up every year, but that's some of the best coon hunting I've ever done in my life. We'd treat 15, 20 coon every night. We'd hunt all night to do it. But yeah. Some of the best coon hunting I've ever done was in Pennsylvania. I'm down here in a corner where there's a ton of people, so you'd have to jump. Yeah. You'd have to. You're either treeing a lot of, you know, pop up coon right along the edge of fields, or you'd be hunting a lot of different spots in order to tree that many coons in one night, right, right here by my house. Well, we went. Now we're a uh, Bob lived right. His house bordered a, a state forest. Mm-hmm. It's kind of on a little mountain range right there east of Lebanon. And you could hunt as long as you wanted to hunt back there in that timber. Oh, yeah. I mean, the rest we of the We hunted state, some around, around Hershey. Okay. We hunted some cornfield country down around Hershey and treated a lot of things down there. But the best hunting we done was up next to the Blue Mountain, as they call it. I don't know if that was actually the Blue Ridge or not. It would be cornfields and farmland. And when you got up in the timber line, it was all forest. Mm-hmm. And Chick Bordner, they didn't shoot a coon. He clumb up in those trees with a pistol <laughs> to shoot the coons or either shake them out. He was a real tree climber. He always lit a cigar and smoked it when he went up in the tree. <laughs> These people were real coon hunters. I mean, they didn't three hire a hunt or something. You know, I take a lot of short hunts. Yeah. All my life. But now those guys, I mean, we'd hunt till it was daylight every night. You know. mm-hmm. That's awesome. That, we that... really did tree the coons. May not be that way now. That's been early eighties, I guess I did that. Like I said, I think the biggest problem is just the land's not there like it used to be. There's a lot of people from moved out from cities, so even Lebanon, it's pretty grown up around there and there's there's still farms up there, don't get me wrong, but nothing like there used to be. Well, it's just all messed up down here. I had fifteen, twenty places I could be to in a few minutes and hunt. Yeah. And it's golf courses and housing developments. Yep. Just everywhere. And, you know, you know, a mile or two of me everywhere. And I live on the land, spending my family for four generations, and that's all chopped up and sold off. And neighbors I don't even know, you know? Yep. Nah, that's everywhere. But I didn't live right here on the creek. The creek's, you know, just right in my backyard, a couple hundred yards. And you can still go out the back door here at my house and hunt. But all the land around here is 
changed hands and developed. It changes hunting, that's for sure. Mm-hmm. So after those first couple dogs, your first couple leopards, did you stick with leopards or I don't know? I read somewhere and it might be not true, but I heard I read something that said that you had crossed in like mountain cur and foxhound and. Well, I have. Okay. I've had probably more good plots than most plot breeders have had, but I've never raised any plots, and I've never crossed personally crossed a leopard on a plot. Although a lot of them, basically, that's what they are. I have an accident one one of those. <laughs> There's nothing wrong with that. I've led a lot of bear hunters. Most of the dogs I sold for many years were the bear hunters. Mm-hmm. They get half the litter when they come, and a lot of them had plot bear dogs. Mm-hmm. And, uh, Bear hunters really liked those leopards because they they you know could run all day every day and they didn't tire their feet out. Yeah, a lot of people don't understand that. But if you, unless you do that, you can't you know you know the plus they're enough of a running dog that can run, mm-hmm. and they're enough of a bay dog to make good bear dogs. Not you know suicidal greedy. Most yeah. of them are not. But uh, I guess the mountain cur cross that people now. If you've looked at those articles I wrote in Bullcry, I put the pictures in there of two dogs Richard and Duffy had called Curly and Steady. Mm-hmm. And Richard got those two dogs from Dewey Ledbetter. Okay. They're pure, pure of Ledbetter mountain curs, you know, could exist. Because mm-hmm. when he started, I copied some of those old columns he wrote for the Mountain Cur Breeders Association before, he, before it turned into the American Cur Breeder Association. He had those mm-hmm. two Dewey Ledbetter mountain curs. And his partner down there had a dog called Dagwood. It, you know, there's no breed mine. It's not leopard colored. Okay. You know, after the, it's in the history of leopard curs and in the pedigree of especially the leopard curs around here. It's in my breeding for sure. Mm-hmm. But, uh, and the first cross that Richard made, to my knowledge, before he got Nimrod, Nail Rod and Jezebel and Flicka, they bred that Dagwood dog to that Dewey Ledbetter Mountain Cur. Okay. To study. And that's where Leggett's Caroline come from. It's in the pedigree of all of my leopards and Wayne Hensley's leopards and anybody, you know, all mm. the modern the modern day McDuffie string leopards, all of them trace back through my Sam and my Cleo dog. Yep. You know, and, and right back to this, and, and and those were the very first dogs I hunted with down there were Noah Leggett's dogs, and those dogs looked different because they had a lot of bundle on them and a rougher look than a lot of them. They weren't as houndy. You know, it took me a few years to figure out they they had that mountain cur in them, and then they had that grade cur dog, whatever he was. Mm-hmm. You know, it looked like he might have been part plot, maybe a little bit of shepherd or retriever. Or who knows? <laughs> You know, yeah, a little bit of a long. Anyway, those dogs, those dogs had led better mountain cur in them, and they bred Nimrod to Curly. So, you know, and Dagwood to Stubby. So those early crosses carried two crosses of mountain cur, and out of all the leopards, those are the ones I liked. Okay, cool. So I got it in my mind in the seventies that I was going to do the same thing Richard had done mm-hmm. with led better mountain cur. And I'd also found a dog up in the mountains up here. It came from Wayne's brother that didn't have papers on it. It was Tom Goodwin and Richard looked at the dog. They were out of Hensley's calico. It looks just like it. It looks just like it. And he did, but it didn't have no papers. But anyway, I had him and had a sound dog that I got from Burning Leggett. 
But anyway, I bought a mountain curve from Robert Cameron. I walked his place over and looked and looked and looked for the tallest, longest-legged thing he had because, in my opinion, his dog couldn't cover the ground with what I had because what I had were hard, extremely hard, fast-traveling dogs, more so than most people would believe, but it's the truth. But anyway, I picked the tallest female that he had and got a female out of it. And she was a real good tree dog. She was, made a real good squirrel dog. And I made a cross on that. It's okay. not in the dogs I've got, and it's not in what Wayne's got. Okay. Wayne's dogs don't carry it. What I've got in my yard don't carry it. But I did make that cross. And then a few years later, I hunted with some of these Bush or Sam dogs, and I couldn't tell no difference in them. Them and the, those early leopards. And yeah. Matter of fact, when I showed them to Richard, I've got letters. He was real interested in it, too. Mm-hmm. He told me he wanted what I was trying to accomplish by crossing those dogs. and told me by the time I accomplished it, I'd lose the leopard identity. And, and you know, and just a few years later, he's doing the same thing and calling them Camus Curve. <laughs> but all I was trying to do was to keep the dogs a little more of a cur dog and less of a hound. Yeah. Because the truth is, those dogs had, they had some plot in them. Some of them right out of registered plots that had registered papers on them. They yeah. had registered, you know, mountain cur in them. Richard know. Bailey had a female named Penny, I believe, that was out of a Crockett bred plot and Nimrod. Sandy. Yeah. Yeah. Named Sandy. She was okay. a red brindle dog right off of a Isaiah Kid's dog. Okay. Yeah. I couldn't remember exactly. I just knew it was a plot. No, yes, you know, but no. That's the only one that shows up in pedigrees, you know, mm-hmm. down through time. They they had, you know, a whole lot of dogs were in that to start with. And, you know, this is of interest to, to me. A lot of those dogs, the breeding didn't pan out, so it really didn't matter what they were. If they didn't yeah. make, you know, an extremely high-caliber dog and, and reproduce it, they, they faded out of the scene anyway. Mm-hmm. But I went and got a dog out of the close of breeding, Mountain Cur, as to what, Richard got from Dewey Ledbetter is, you know, that I could find. Yeah. Right, you know, right out of Tennessee Mountain Blondie and Baker's Brindle Bob and Cass Walker's Tug, which are, you know, kind of the cream of the crop of Mountain Cur, Ledbetter Mountain Cur. But I did breed some of that back in. And years later, bred some dogs that carried some of that Bush or Sam, if you were familiar with that. Okay. Cur breeding. Mm-hmm. These dogs were in Busher Sam. I hunted a lot of Busher Sam mountain curs. I was a member of the mountain cur club for pretty good while. I've trained I've trained dogs for years, and I trained a lot. Okay. I've seen a lot of things in the mountain curs, but those Busher dogs, it's much like early leopards. You couldn't tell which were which. Yeah. Other than if they had leopard color, maybe a little more hair on them. But I've also heard. Um, I found out later from Jimmy Hoover that those busher dogs were half plot. I was going to say I've heard. I've heard that rumored that a lot of those busher dogs were were plots or plot crosses. And a lot of people like to refer to a strain of mountain cur known as York strain of mountain cur. There's no strain to it. There's a bear hunter out there by the name of Holland Lee York back in those days that crossed it. They had grade plot bear dogs and might have had some registered one too that they took and bred to. And, and I quizzed all these people. I went out to Kenneth Jones's. He had dogs out of that Busher Sam dog. And I'd done some business with Glenn Overstreet that had the Busher Sam dogs in California. You know? And when I quizzed Jimmy Hoover, I said, Why are these dogs able to run as cold a track as any? You know, hound, 
And a lot of these other mountain curves are, are basically squirrel dogs. You know, they might tree coon around a cornfield. When there's snow on the ground, you, you just ain't going to catch coon with them. And he said, well, he said, a lot of people don't know this, but in the early days, the board of directors had permission to breed to anything they wanted on one side as long as one side was for sure a mountain cur and then used mountain cur papers Interesting. to cover it. <laughs> now, I mean, people told me that passed away, mm-hmm. but I don't doubt it. The pedigree I put in my pedwim program and, and when I asked him, I said, well, give me the pedigree on this on these dogs, you know, these busher dogs. He said, well, do you want what's on the papers, or do you want <laughs> the proof? I said, well, I want it for breeding purposes, because I'm putting it in a breeding program on a computer. And he had his mother-in-law sitting there, do it, led better with her, you know. Okay. Went over all these names, so I'm, you know, I'm sure I was getting the truth. But now, a lot of those early mountain curs that were big-type dogs that could run yeah. You know, were either out of a plot or a red bone or somebody's great hound out there. Gotcha. Interesting. People probably, you know, this is probably what why people don't like for me to talk. <laughs> I tell things that shouldn't be known. Hey, we're so you know far removed from it at this point, and there's been enough stuff that's been added behind the barn in the last twenty years that anything that happened sixty years yeah. ago isn't isn't important. All out the door now, ain't it? Yeah. That's why, like, I, I just like to know, though. I think it's very interesting. Well, okay. Old Buck and Black Gal. Mm-hmm. O'Neill Bennett's old dog. Nobody knew like Richard. I mean, he, he you know, the longer I look back, and I had disagreements with him. I didn't want exactly to came. I used to take trips with him, and he introduced me as the person that was going to carry on his breeding program when he couldn't. But I just didn't want the same kind of dog he did. Okay. And the dog handled a little better and bark a little less. But he told me stuff, and when he would tell me, I thought, well, that ain't nothing like I've heard or read. <laughs> and these Carter dogs, A.W. Carter, sure you've heard of that. Yep. Well, I knew this man. They caught cows in this country. I'd seen Carter dogs work. I mean, it was a fight to watch, and they bred hound in them, you know, so they weren't just like a. Catahoula by no means. They were a houndier looking dog and people around here referred to them dogs and they advertised them as circle and bay dogs. Okay. That's how they'd advertise them. Circle and bay dogs. All you had to do is put them where a cow had been. They'd leave out, you know, gone. And when they'd find them, they'd run the wind out of it and bay them up. And they'd go in on their horses and take corrals. And I've seen people do this for years around here. It's a sight to watch. Yep. Catch any cow there is. Ain't nothing they couldn't catch with them dogs. Two hundred dollars a head, and you didn't catch it, you didn't pay them. So I asked Richard. I said, "These dogs that you refer to as Carter dogs. I mean, I've I've seen his dog catch cows. You know, I've seen them at stockyards. I said they're not exactly the same. I said. He said, "Well, old Buck just half that." And I said, "Well, what's the other half?" He said, "Black and tan." <laughs> I said, "Well, you mean like them grade black and tans that you're." father had and he said no he said they were most likely wagner black and tan if you're familiar with hans wagner mm-hmm. probably the most purebred coonhound ever been in this country were wagner black and tans which would explain why all, a lot of those dogs were black and tan you know color and such yep. i mean uh, 
had a man call me up maybe 10 or 12 years ago, and I tracked that breeding all the way back to old Buck. And he said, well, what's Buck out of it? You know, and I said, well, he's out of A.W. Carter dog and a black and tan. And I told him he was that, you know, he hung up on me. <laughs> he said, you mean you, I've listened to all this about curs and they got hound in them? Well, yeah. Well, sure they got hound in them. Everything starts with something. Yep. Any breed of dog that can and run a cold trail and, and do it naturally has got hound in them. All coonhound breeds come from foxhound, right? Yep. I mean, there's no, or bloodhound, one of the two. There's no other source. Foxhounds are like 49% bloodhound and 51% greyhound, right? Never heard that. American okay. foxhounds. Sure, sure. This is all documented. The purest, purest hound in this. Well, foxhounds are, you know, you can track them back pedigree for hundreds of years. They're a purebred dog, but foxhounds in Europe derive from crossing greyhounds onto scent hounds. Okay. And um, coonhounds in America either come down from black and tan, the old black and tan. Like a bloodhound type dog, or either yeah. that, or the foxhounds that were imported over here, mm-hmm. like the brookhounds. Now, all stuff's out there, but I mean, most of the coonhounds in this country are what people call pot liquor. You know, had a little of this and that and the other, and you know, didn't have no papers on them. Yeah. You know, but and tree and walkers and, and plots and all that stuff, you know, came into being not too awful many years ago. Exactly. You know, and so leopard curs were not too far behind, but they got a lot of hound in them. I'm getting off track here on you, I'm sure. That's all right. Probably not what you'd want to put on a podcast if they got a lot of hound in them to start <laughs> with. That's, I don't care if you don't care. Oh, I mean, you know, I'm, I've always been, I've had a lot of people through the years, so I wouldn't have none of that Dutchman Creek breeding in it. He, he talks about having mountain cur in them. <laughs> well, then they may as well say he wouldn't have nothing Rick Happy ever had. Exactly. Because his first litters were out of a, you know, Brindle Mountain Cur. No, and I mean, I mean, you know, I didn't. The leopard wasn't a purebred dog, so I mean, what were you going to cross? What were you going to cross these dogs to? You had to cross them to something. Sure, sure. So, and what do you think the, cur dogs the throughout mystery. the South were, were? They were all mixed up hound crosses. Yeah, hounds, bird dogs, you know, stock dogs, uh, collie and shepherd, yeah. bulldog, just a little of that and the other bred on to you know first hounds like they were you know. Foxhounds evolved into coonhounds, and probably mm-hmm. some of the earliest curs in that country down there, eastern North Carolina, is bobcat and gray fox hunting heaven has been for a hundred years. All them early coon hunters and all them leopard breeders down there probably done more bobcat hunting than they did coon hunt. Okay. And people down there, that, you know, I got to know July breeders. A lot of them old Julys that them people bred to hunt down the eastern part of the state. People see them, they'd swear it as a leopard cur. Swear to it. Mm-hmm. Look, they had more hair, more of them leopard colored. But they'd been bred for a hundred years to run a gray fox and bobcat in that dense brush down there to breed a smaller dog and a daytime hunting dog, not what you'd run red fox with, you know, or not what you'd run you know, in a field trial type. But yeah. I, you know, I got to know some gentlemen that had had those dogs 16, 70 years and their father had before them. And, you know, I just common sense tells me those dogs got some of that in them. I've mm-hmm. had them. But you just, 
people come to my house and swear I had some old leopard blood there I'm keeping a secret. I'd say, no, they're, they're red Julies, you know, pedigree on them. I know, and I did make a cross or two on that, and it was a good thing. Okay. Real good thing. Mm-hmm. Real good thing. That was not real long ago, like 25 years ago, I guess. But okay. The biggest mystery in that breed is where Richard got Nimrod and his litter mates in it. So the story of going to Mexico is not legit? Well, I've got handwritten letters from Richard. I've got a handwritten letter from a man by the name of B.T. Williams, Cowboy Williams, lived in Texas. You know, that Richard got them from Boy Williams. Okay. The cowboy tells me that a man by the name of O.H. Bates bred them, Orville Bates. But, uh, you know, a lot of people say, well, I tried to tell you they're just Catahoula across the line. Well, no, that's not what they were either. I'd swear if a man done DNA, there's probably no Catahoula in them dogs. If it was, it's a minute, minute amount. People been breeding dogs for a long, long time. Oh yeah, you know, but whatever they were, and I, you know, Richard didn't tell it to a long time. Man called me up one time was talking about it. when I said something to Richard. He said, "Well, if his name was O. H. Bates, you can't believe the thing he said, and he don't know what he's got. He's just a dog trader." You know, well, later on, you know, he told me that that's who he did in fact get those dogs from. Okay, I can't prove it other than I've got both of them. You know, saying it in their handwriting. Mm-hmm. And this O.H. Bates, I've got old Foxhound Journal where he crossed dogs. One side of the pedigree say American Cur, and the other side say Goodman Foxhound, which is the same thing as a July. Okay. Pretty much. The Goodman's got more Walker in it than a July. But you know, they're leopard colored running dogs that people hunted mm-hmm. wolves and bobcat and stuff with. Interesting. Yeah. What they were exactly, I don't know. But I, they did not come from Mexico. They did not <laughs> no old man and none of that stuff. It's just, it, you know, it's it read good. It yeah. read good. It was a good story. Nobody, you know, nobody, nobody can never, and I've known several people. So I can tell you exactly what they were. You know, I had several people tell me their, their family bred them. A man lives in Texas, I believe his name's. Haney. I don't know him. I spoke with him. But, and, and I've heard Randy Aller, I've been so far as Randy's put pedigrees on those dogs, said he knew the man that Richard got them from. I've heard that he, he has claimed <laughs> that. I've I, he's never. I've only talked to him once, and he didn't tell me that, but I've heard that he's claimed that. Well, it, the thing about it is, and I don't know exactly what the word, but I'm, I've been around a lot of cow dogs, a lot of cow dogs seen a lot of these leopard dogs that people use to catch wild cow, mm-hmm. which are different than what most people call a catahoula. But, uh, and I've messed with a lot of dogs, and as years go by, I'm more and more convinced that's not what those dogs had in them to give them that color. For the simple reason, all of those dogs were colder nosed than any hound you'd ever see. Could run a cold track. Way better than any hound you ever see, much less a hound cross, you know, the first mm-hmm. generation of a cross. You know what I'm saying? Yep. And they were, the pups off of them were like natural born coon dogs. Needed no training to get them to run and tree at all. It was just as natural as a foxhound running a fox. Mm-hmm. And you don't get that from cow dogs. Yeah. I messed with a lot of them and seen people cross them, and you had a terrible time hunting them where they were stock. They had the instinct to want to work stock. Well, I mean, 
that's just what they've been bred for. So why wouldn't it? Sure, but no, those those, those Nimrod dogs were you know they were not that way. Yeah. They were not they were as natural as the they were as natural born a coon dog as the best trend walkers in this country are today. Okay. And after a lot of time of messing the dogs, that wasn't something that just happened. Somebody no. had been breeding those dogs for a very long time. Yeah. And it just didn't just, you know, Cowboy Williams and, and Orville Bates shipped dogs all over the United States in the 50s and 60s. You know what I'm saying? Mm-hmm. So, I mean, they were in a position to see and get a hold of dogs very few people were. I mean, they made a living at it. Yeah. Made a living at it. Now, we're, you know, I can't tell exactly what they were, but I'm, I'm absolutely positive they were not Catahoulas. I'm absolutely positive. That. That's a very common thought on leopards, even today. People are still like, oh, it's it's a Catahoula, or it's a Catahoula hound cross, or... Yeah. Well, I've seen some, and no doubt they some been put in them through the years, and no doubt some do. Some of the earliest dogs, like Who's Your Buck? Mm-hmm. Come from uh, Dan Reeves. I believe this dog come into the breed in 1961. I mean, he was older than Nimrod and those dogs. Okay. Richard got him from Dan Reeves, and Dan Reeves got him from Ross Porter in Iowa. Okay. Ross Porter, probably the oldest leopard breeder you can point a finger at and say, there's a man that bred him for many years prior to registration office. Okay. That calico dog that uh, Lewis Hensley had come through Dan Reeves to, from Ross Porter. And uh can kind of prove all of this through old full crime magazines. In the early 50s, a man by the name of Glenn Bixler wrote a column. In Iowa, real famous tree and walker breeder. And a dog by the name of Bixler, Supreme Sally. You ever heard of that name? Nope. You ever hear tell of a dog named Finley River Chief? Yep. Most famous trend walker ever. Mm-hmm. Out of out of Supreme Sally, Glenn Bixler got this dog from Ross Porter. Same place these calico colored dogs. Huh. Interesting. Uh, you, you know, the same dogs. You know, Mr. Porter told me they the trend walker breed was new, and if they come walker colored, they'd single register these dogs as walkers. Interesting. You know, they had a very open single registration policy. Yeah. At that time. Both, you know, most breeds did at that point in time. And, a, and Porter got dogs from a man in Willow Spring, Missouri, by the name of Jake Wolf in the 40s and 50s. Because it was in these columns, these real old columns. He'd say Porter come by today on the way to Missouri to get some more than calico-colored coon dogs. Hmm. You know, very I've got all them old articles, but. A lot of those the Midwestern dogs and what people call Spring Valley breeding were not mm-hmm. Spring Valley at all. They come from Ross Porter and Jake Wolf, and they've been breeding those dogs for years. Interesting. I've never heard that. I've seen the Spring Valley stuff, just never knew where it came from other than what's on you know well, on papers. But then yeah. at some point, like you said, it just says unknown you know ancestry or whatever. Right. Uh, Mike Crawford's Cali and. John England's Melody and Spring Valley Lip and Hoosier Butt and Hensley's Calico. All of those dogs come from Ross Porter's breeding. Very interesting. And he told an interesting story what all they'd bred into them for years. They had fox dog in them. They had coon dog in them. You know, they'd bred them for years and years. Mm-hmm. 
in about did have a letter here a man wrote that knew about it that Richard got and he passed around it. About two thirds of those dogs would come leopard colored. Some of them were chop mouth, some were ball mouth, but other than the dogs right around here, probably the biggest influence on the breed were those dogs there and this, mm-hmm. this Irish wilderness stuff. I'm sure you've read that in your books. No, I haven't. Or Spring Valley Lip, where they say them dogs come out of the Irish wilderness. I hadn't read that. And they're, nah, there's those, I think Ross Porter and Jake Wolf, you know, had bred that strain of dog for years. And I think that's probably. That's very interesting. Like I said, I had no idea. That's way back. Mm-hmm. That's way back. That's way back. You know, all the stuff I'm, I'm familiar with, you know, I was real curious as to where those dogs come from. Because I've seen people for years and years try to recreate it, and you can't. Mm-hmm. You know, not in a short period of time. It, oh, yeah. it don't hold up in breeding. It just don't hold up in breeding. When's the book coming out? The what? The book. You've what got book? all the. You've got all the information. We need a book. I can't write. <laughs> oh, you can write. If you can talk, you can. No, write. I can't. Well, unless I got something that can do it for me, I've got bad neuropathy and I can't hold a pen. I can write my name. I can sign my name. They got. And I can't hardly hold my fingers. I have to take one hand and hold the other well, tight. We need to get somebody to help you out. If I was down there, I'd help you. All the all this information that you have, I don't know that it's worth anything. I don't oh, know it's what worth I don't know the value of it in today's breed. You know what I'm saying? I'm afraid it's come to a point that what most people have today are a leopard hound, and mm-hmm. if you go back over 20 years or 25 years, they, they, you know people would scratch their head and say that doesn't have anything to do with what I've got. And, and if I was to put a description on those dogs. It wouldn't fit what people have today. Yeah. No, I understand a lot of those dogs were bad-natured dogs. Bad-natured dogs would bite you. Hmm. Would bite other people. Would bite their owners. They weren't easy-handling dogs to start with. You well, know what I'm saying? Why is that? They just, I don't know why. I'm just hmm. saying the first ones I hunted with were that way. Just curious. I didn't know. I had for generations, and, and I'd say these dogs I've got today, if I was still breeding them, if I was to shoot a coon, you couldn't go up and pick that coon up unless you wanted to bit. They were real possessive. Okay. They were possessive, and a lot of them were peculiar. A lot of those early dogs, they wouldn't have made competition dogs because they didn't, <laughs> they didn't like people they weren't familiar with. That's a lot of cur dogs still today. Well, actually, I'm, I'm not familiar with what's out there today. No, I'm just saying. Oh, that really not. I've uh, I've hunted with a handful, a good handful of mountain curs, and heck, a lot of mountain curs are peculiar. And I'm saying cur dogs in general, not just leopards, but right. I think the more hound influence they got in them, probably the better they are around crowds of people and probably. able to take out in the hunts with strange dogs and strange people. Some of the best I've had, I, you know. Wouldn't do good in competition hunts because they'd just be strange people and strange dogs every time you went. Mm-hmm. Not seeing a good handler couldn't find individual dogs that do that. For, yeah. And a lot of those dogs were used in packs, not individual dogs. Mm-hmm. That may have been something that's long gone. I mean, like you said, the bear hunters and stuff, they still hunt them in packs, but otherwise most of your kill sure. hunters, are they're at least going to single a dog out at, at least at times. Right. Yeah, but in the early days in those leopard cur hunts, it weren't that way. People took half a dozen every time they went. <laughs> we had a real roaring race. I don't even think coons run like that now. 
Probably not because they're not being run like that. Very interesting. A lot of stuff I didn't know. Well, I don't know that it's would be any value of the breed today, but that's well. A lot of those early dogs, and you know, Richard pretty much controlled the way that breed went because he controlled the registration office. Mm-hmm. The first pups I bought from him were off the Gold Nugget and a dog called Sweet Talk, which okay. is totally different than first generation or two of them. And that mm-hmm. changed them a lot. I've heard all kinds of now, things about the Sweet Talk yeah, kind of dogs. I got kind of wiped out of the dogs in the mid-set, and these dog thieves cleaned me out. Jeez. Seemed like they followed me around everywhere I went hunting and got every dog I had. Yeah, gum. I guess back then, hides were high. Yeah. Three of them, three of them at a time one night. We're looking across a creek from where we was trees, we got every dog we had off a tree. Mm. And it was a mile back up the creek to the bridge we was parked at. And we were, you know, headed back up the creek to go down. When we got up to where we were parked, they had dumped my cousin's dog out of the truck. He was a yellow bobtail dog mm-hmm. off the Sweet Talk. And they, I guess they didn't want him. Took every dog I had and never saw him again. That's a shame. Sorry to hear that. My ranger dog, the person I had, he got stolen in the woods. I had another dog called Rango. He got stolen in the woods and never got him out. And I had three more got stolen like that. I had a couple stole out of my yard all just in a few years. Come. And I got a dog after that by the name of Sam that I bought from Burning Leggett. Burning had about the same bloodline I did. Had a, Nimrod, Hillrod. I would say Sam is probably one of your most well-known dogs, at least from my... Sam? Yeah. Yeah. He's, you know, I guess if he had it in one of these programs that ran as a stud dog, he'd probably have a big influence on the breed of any dog from this part of the country. Because mm-hmm. everybody eventually breeding, you know, went back to him. He was a real king dog. He was a good king dog. I was worried about him when he was young. I didn't think he'd keep up with the Tigger dog I had. Okay. That I got in the mountains. Was he, was, was he not as tall? Uh, or? Extremely fat. Oh, you no, know, Sam was not, as, not quite as tall. Tigger wasn't a big dog, but I bought him where he was trained up on 4,000 foot mountains. Okay. And, yeah, he was a couple years old when I bought him. I mean, it was steep mountains. And it, dogs that were raised, and I bought quite a few dogs. From, I'd, I'd let people up there have them and give them back from them. Dogs that are trained up on 4,000, 5,000 foot highest mountains you can find, you bring them down seven, 800 foot elevation, they'll outrun every dog trained <laughs> down here. Walk off from them. Yeah. yeah. Just because they're conditioned up there? Sure. The sure. This dog I got in the mountain, I mean, he just caught coon left and right on the ground all the time down here. And one thing made Sam as good as he was, I trained him with a ticker dog I bought in the mountain. Mm-hmm. And then I crossed. My bloodlines with those two dogs, and I bought a female named Cleo out of the dogs I had that got stole. Okay. Bred to that. Cool. All of that bloodline I had went back to Richard McDuffie's and O'Neill Bennett's. Mm-hmm. And I bought dogs had back through England's little lip to the Missouri dogs, a little bit of that. I tried to keep it. I hadn't messed with Pedwin programs. My dogs run about 50% Nimrod, Nailrod, and Okay. Jezebel, maybe 25%, not as much later on, maybe 15% buck and black gal. Gotcha. I tried to keep them line bred on that through the years. I got my first dog from Brandon. I actually was able to trace my dog that I got from him back uh, you know, to a lot of the foundation stock. So 
Very interesting. I mean, when I first Alex met Brandon, he had a dog. He had a dog named Newt mm-hmm. that he got from Lamar Meeks. Yep, was a good dog. Basically, everything in his kennel has been line bred on Newt. Newt. So I've been, I've hunted, I've went down there and hunted with him a couple of times, and he, we always treat him. You ever hunt with John Miles? I have not. I've never Brandon. met John. I've talked to him on the phone. Bear hunting. Yep. <laughs> I think he's a. I think he's a. He's a top-notch bear hunter in my book. Dog trainer. Yeah, mm-hmm. I'm sure of it. No, I think that, he's trained a lot of bear dogs. Both Brandon and uh, Wayne have both talked highly of John. And like I said, I talked to him on the phone one time, but that was it. Never met him. I'd go hunting with Wayne even if he didn't have dogs catching nothing. He's just he's just a <laughs> fun to be around. He yeah. is. He definitely is. I need to I need to go see him. It's a couple hour ride. Haven't been up there lately. Mm-hmm. How old are you, Rex? Sixty six. Okay. Well, I wish you're. I'm not all that old. I just I just just screw up hunting with uh. Yeah, you, you started young. that breeder dog. Yeah, yeah, I did. Yeah, I was. So that's why all, all the old timers have you know died off, and you're still around because you were, you know, they were adults and you were a kid. <laughs> when I, you know, I was thirty years old. I'd been raising dogs a generation and sold a lot of dogs. And I trained dogs for a living, and people yep. people show up at my house and want to know where I was. <laughs> They'd say, "Well, I'm expecting a, a bald headed tobacco farmer or somebody, <laughs> not you." Yeah, oh lordy, that's awesome. Uh, I mean, I really took it for granted for the first many years, first half of that, that I you know, got to be good friends with the people that started that breed of dogs. Mm-hmm. And, and, you know, it, and they told me things about those dogs that nobody knew. And I just don't know that it accomplishes anything to, maybe it sounds better to say they come over from Spain <laughs> and Hernando de Soto or purebred somewhere, you know, like. And I grew up hunting with plots. I mean, I've hunted with some of the best plots. Mm-hmm. You know, they're the, they're the backbone of the breed. I mean, extremely good plots. But mm-hmm. well, you're not too. Yeah, you know, I roamed from... all over the mountains researching those plots back in the seventies and eighties, and couldn't hardly find out no nothing about them. And now it's just amazing all that stuff they come up with on them. Yep, and I mean a lot of them old plots. If if you look back at old pictures and even some of the old. Uh, accounts of them a lot of them were more of a cur type dog yeah yeah i've got a lot of old articles first step i found on call them plot curve mm-hmm. uh, i never could i think those some of those earliest mountain curves and plot curves and some of the ancestors of leopard curves i think they're all pretty much the same i, I would agree with that dog. from everything i've read and, and seen i haven't been in this nearly as long as you i didn't get started and i was 12, 14 years old, but just from what a little bit of research I've done on these on these old cur dogs is, and I, w- I would say right around that 1950s mark is when people started going different directions and started registering stuff, but pre-1950s, I would say a lot of yeah. those dogs were all the same. All the same, yeah. Even in them hound breeds. Mm-hmm. I mean, you look back in old magazine, you'll see bushy-haired walkers. Mm-hmm. You know what I'm saying? Short-eared, you know. Yep. I mean, they they weren't such purebred dogs back at that time either. Yep. And red bones. There used to be red bones around this part of the country when I was a boy. People used them for rabbit dogs. You know, daytime possum dogs at night don't look like what's around today. Well, and they a lot were of stuff, up. they it, they got called whatever by what color they were. Like you said, a tricolor 
yeah. dog was a walker dog. A blue tick was a, was a blue tick colored dog. I mean, it didn't mean it was a purebred blue tick like today. It means it was a blue tick colored dog. That's right. So That's right. I really appreciate you taking the time to sit down with me and talk. And I really appreciate this. And I'd like to do it again at some point. Well, I'll be glad to uh, give you some facts on, you know, I've got stuff wrote down. I probably couldn't remember off the top of my head. I've collected that stuff all my life. But. So thank you very much, Rex. Well, I appreciate you calling. Write me a letter sometime. I'll all try right. to write you one back. Sounds good. Right, thank do. you. You can find me on Facebook and Instagram at Tree Talking Media. And until next time, keep them talking in the timber. <laughs>